For those of you that have already heard the sermon, the podcast begins at about 14 minutes and 30 seconds. Howdy, y'all. My name is Tiffany Keith. I'm the preaching pastor of Heartstrings, Bluegrass, Worship, and Wild Hearts. Welcome to Give God an Inch, where we open ourselves up to God's nudging. I will read one of my sermons, read, not preach, totally different things. What I write and what comes out on Sunday mornings are not the same. After I read the sermon, we are going to take a little bit of time to reflect on it, what I said, why, and maybe what hit the cutting room floor. Oh God, open us up. Open our eyes that we might see. Open our ears that we might hear. And then, oh God, open our hands that they might serve. It doesn't take too long after meeting me to figure out that one of my deep callings is business, leadership, and organizational management. Don't get me wrong. I love preaching. But I also love a good Excel spreadsheet, organizational chart, PowerPoint, and thinking through new systems. One of my favorite tools for evaluating an organization, specifically a church, is to engage in the appreciative inquiry process. I learned about this process from a pastor in our conference before I started becoming a pastor. It was so intriguing. Appreciative inquiry isn't about fixing problems. It isn't about focusing on the way things are broken. It's about discovering the best in people, the organizations they work for, and finding opportunities that will nurture and grow that organization. This is done in the beginning through an interview process. You sit down with person after person, asking them questions and looking for deep themes, deep meaning, and hope. In the church world, it looks like a conversation with church members and leaders and pastors, former and current, asking them about the ways their church community has added to their life. The stories I have heard from churches about how their lives were different because of their church home. One young man in his mid to late 80s talked about helping the church when he was a teenager, how his church believed in him. Can you imagine? 60 years later, remembering how powerful your church community was. There are so many stories, the power of faith. If you just know what questions to ask. Appreciative inquiry helps with some really powerful questions. One of my favorite questions is, when have you felt the most alive, most connected to the church? I imagine if I were to sit down with the disciples in the years following the crucifixion, they would talk about the power of walking through the Galilee with Jesus, teaching and healing, learning and connecting. Hope was poured into them, overflowing. Can you hear the words of wonder and hope when you read the Gospels? They encountered life and connection And they were sure this period of learning would last a lifetime, 
a thousand years, in fact. But now, Jesus, he was dead. He wasn't sleeping. He was dead. Don't believe it? Ask the disciples. They may have been standing at a distance, but they could tell you he was dead. Maybe you think they were standing too far away to see, so ask the soldiers. Ask them about the one in the middle. Yeah, he's dead. Ask the women who prepared his body, the women who laid him down, cleaned him up, covered him. Jesus was dead. Somebody somebody needs to run to Bethlehem. Go tell the shepherds it was a mistake. When you leave, will you swing by Rachel's tomb? Will you let her know that the mothers of all the children Herod killed, their deaths were in vain? They will need comforted. All those Christmas carols we were singing not too long ago, the words just seem silly now. He's dead. There is no hope. It was just a poor baby born of a poor woman. An epiphany? There's no light. No revelation. Will you take the gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh back to the east? We don't need them. Let the astrologers of the east know. They were nice gifts, but they aren't needed. He is dead. Thanks anyway. Will you run and tell Herod that he wins again? It was rather naive of us to think we could have actually changed anything. All the party and joy of Palm Sunday. The palms, the two donkeys, one with a rider on the roof of that car, the other joining us from its vantage point home safe now, returned to their owners. The Lord no longer needs them. Someone tell Pilate that Rome is safe again. No need to gather an army. Will you run? Will you, you, go and tell Caiaphas that he was right? The slow, slow change of their religious elite is the only way to go. Political maneuvering wins out over the dreams of the marginalized, the poor, the immigrants, the women, the sinner. He is dead. Someone take the microphones back. He's dead. Send the band back home. Take the carpet and the trucker caps, the coffee cups, the bracelets, the prayer beads. Just toss them. It was a nice dream, but that's all it was. It was a dream. He is dead. Crucified. Hope. Our hope. Hung on a cross. Our Messiah is dead. Our hope lost. This morning, Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James and Salome, come with tears, faced with a daunting task of preparing his body, giving away his things, sorting through the remains of a life so beautifully lived. They were not coming to the tomb expecting Easter bunnies, Easter eggs, anything beautiful. They were expecting grief and pain and tears. Let's listen to their story from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 16, verses 1 through 8. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James, and Salome bought spices so they might go and anoint him. 
And very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. They had been saying to one another, Who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance to the tomb? When they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large and had already been rolled back. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in white robe, sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. But he said to them, Do not be alarmed. You are looking for Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has been raised. He is not here. Look, there is the place they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter that he is going ahead of you to Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. So they went out and fled from the tomb, for terror and amazement had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. May God bless the reading, hearing, and doing of this word. Nadia Boltzweber, a theologian and preacher, says this about the Easter story. Easter in the Bible may be the greatest story ever told. It's just not the story we usually choose to tell, because it's not a story about new dresses and baskets and flowers and candy and spiffiness. Really? It's a story about flesh and dirt and bodies and crucifixion and confusion, and it's about the way God never seems to adhere to our expectations. Because think about it. Mary Magdalene stood there at the empty tomb that morning while her expectations of what was possible collided full force with the God of Abraham and Sarah. Her certainty that she knew how the whole Jesus thing was ending slammed right up against the full force of God's suffering and redemptive love. And though it was nothing short of divine revelation in the flesh, Jesus still didn't look very impressive. Not in the churchy Easter sense. All of the funeral plans were in place. Hope set aside so the long, slow process of saying goodbye could begin. The women walked into the tomb, prepared for the long, slow journey of grief, but encountered something beyond imagination. They encountered a God so overflowing with love so overflowing with grace that death itself couldn't keep this God down. Will you run? Run and tell Caiaphas and all the religious elite that they are so wrong. They cannot contain God in their rules and judgments and certainty. Someone needs to tell them that political maneuvering will never contain the dreams of the marginalized, the poor, the immigrants, the women, the sinner. Someone tell Pilate that Rome is not safe, that those that hold power over others are not safe. God will be born into the arms of a peasant girl and die at the hands of the most powerful army in the world has ever known before he gives up those that are oppressed or marginalized or invisible or hurting. All the party and joy of Palm Sunday come back. Donkeys and palms and art and fun come back. Let's celebrate. It's Easter. God refuses to sit up on some invisible heavenly throne accounting for our mistakes. Our God is a God that would rather hang on a cross and descend to the depths of hell than be apart from those that betrayed him. We run and tell Herod that he has not won, that the powerful, the oppressor, that swords and armies will not keep our God from moving mountains. 
that God has risen up an army, an army armed with love, grace, and invitations to something so beautiful, so true, that no army with swords and pride and greed can take down. And in Epiphany, will you go back to the East? Tell those wise, wise travelers that they were right, that we can see now God showed up in that baby. The Messiah so wise, eating with tax collectors and sinners and the religious elite, we almost missed him because we were looking to the heavens, to the stars, to the vastness of the universe. That's where we looked, but you knew. You came and kneeled. You came and worshiped God right here, right in our midst. We can see that now. All those Christmas carols we were singing not too long ago, the words just seem silly now. They're way too small to capture the truth of God coming to us in the form of a baby born of a peasant girl. We need candles and voices and and story. Somebody needs to run to Bethlehem. Go ask the shepherds what they saw, what they heard. What was that promise again? We might have missed the cosmo-altering power of his birth they were witness to. We failed to see God in the arms of a poor girl. We missed heaven opening up to the call to call the poorest of the poor, the outcast, the smelly, stinky shepherd to come. And when you leave, will you swing by Rachel's tomb? I know it isn't a straight shot. There's a 30-foot wall with a barbed wire and machine guns and fear and pain blocking your way. But will you let her know that the mothers of all the children Herod killed, that death has not won, that in their pain and grief and fear, they will encounter healing and hope and compassion from this God. All the funeral plans were in place. Hope set aside so the long, slow process of saying goodbye could begin. The women walked into the tomb, prepared for the long, slow journey of grief, but encountered something beyond imagination. They encountered a God so overflowing with love, so overflowing with grace, that death itself could not keep this God down. Well, Tiffany, thank you for your Easter sermon. I, uh, I got to hear it twice this week, so that was good. You recorded it for television, and then you did it live on, on Easter Sunday morning. So I got to hear it twice, so it kind of got it clearer in my brain than I usually do. And I have to tell you that the, the first thing that came to mind was not so much content, which I want to talk about a little bit later, but was structure. Um, and, and I don't know, I mean, we talked about it briefly, but I don't know that you... In, you knew that you were doing this intentionally, but it, it's a structure called a chiastic structure. And chiastic structure is A, B, C, D, C, B, A. You know, you, you went in and came out of, of the sermon. And, um, and, and it was interesting because it, was, it, it, it started and then it went down. And then it came back up and, and went beyond where it was. And anyway, I just, I want to talk about that, but I was curious, when you thought about how you were structuring your sermon, why did you come to that to that direction and that pattern of doing your sermon? I am the Reverend Kent Ingram, pastor at First United Methodist Church in Colorado Springs and colleague of Tiffany Keith. And I'm Tiffany. 
one of the things that we did to fill that hour is lengthen the sermon. And when I wrote my sermon, it was too short. So I had to figure out how to make it long enough. So I just repeated myself. Wow. Well, you, you stumbled onto a very interesting style of preaching. And, and, I, and, I, and I really liked it. I, um, I, I didn't know if you had done it intentionally in terms of the structure itself, but, but it really was a fascinating structure. It drew you in. Um, you know, you started, you started with the, uh, um, he's dead. Well, you actually, you, you, you started with your, your love of business. <laughs> which felt like it didn't make any sense at all to the sermon well you know but it but it did in the sense that it set up your love for appreciative inquiry which set up your question around um what was meaningful for the disciples what, what was what was the the thing that they appreciated or or, or meant the most so so there was a line there. i mean it was not I mean, you're right, I suppose. You, you wouldn't have had to say you loved business or had a business interest, but, but that explained why you were interested in appreciative inquiry, which... Yeah, which explained, like, because what I was getting to was um, I, I wanted it to be, I, I wanted to pull us first, which is the exact opposite of where I, I um, went to second. But first I went to um, joy and life and abundant life mm. and, and resurrection Sunday. I mean, pre-resurrection, like the disciples life, this, this life of joy. And I yeah. wanted, and, and I think when people come in on Easter, they're probably already a little bit there. Right. So it's just kind of joining them along the, you know, the enthusiastic holiday and joy and, you know, so I, I kind of felt like I was going there to begin with right before I dropped into the, well, he, now he's dead. You know, that, that's interesting. I, I know this podcast isn't about my sermon, <laughs> but, <laughs> but, but, but when, when I, when I wrote my sermon and, and I did, I did intentionally sort of start off with the laughter, joy, lighthearted stuff too, um, and, and kept drawing drawing it down you know to to where you did you know with with death and you know i, I remember hearing a I don't know, national public radio program they were interviewing some poet or something and, and and they asked you know the secret to poetry and and the guy said that he either starts at the ground and reaches for the sky or he starts in the sky and comes back to the ground um which I thought was an interesting sort of a concept. And so, so I, I sort of started with the sky and came back to the ground as you did too. But, but, but I guess, I guess the, the question that I want to ask was, why was it important for you to make sure that we knew that Jesus was dead? So what didn't make the sermon, which was really, which was the sermon, but never made the sermon, which I don't know if I've ever done this before, but I had a conversation, I think I've preached a little bit of this story before, at least I know I've talked about it. I have, um, I, when I first started, you know, attending church and learning the story of this faith and who Christ was, I happen to also be pretty close friends with a Jewish family. And the really cool thing about them is I could ask all sorts of questions. 
and they were, they really did as a family have a heart of a teacher, you know, they would answer my questions and, and they would really talk about the things that mattered to them. And, you know, they invited me one night to their Friday night Sabbath meal, you know, and I got to hear these ancient prayers of, you know, bread and, and over bread and wine. And it was in, in Hebrew and it just, it was so beautiful. Um, and they would answer all my questions until this one day I asked about Messianic Judaism, which is Jews that believe um, that Christ was the Messiah. And, and it was the first time I felt um, a, a, a resistance, uh, an irritation or frustration on my question that I asked. And it, it, it surprised me. But the answer was, well, there's no way Jesus was the Messiah. He didn't bring a thousand years of peace. Mm-hmm. And, and, and then there's this moment in that conversation that I was like, that I understood that that's where the disciples were, mm-hmm. uh, you know, Friday and Saturday. Oh, he wasn't the Messiah. Mm-hmm. You know, it, he, he's dead. He's, he, he cannot be the one we were waiting for, yeah. you know? So that was my sermon, right? Like, but something changed their mind. Yeah. What changed their mind? Something had to, something big and huge had to, had to go, Oh, he's the Messiah. Yeah. That's, that's really helpful. And, and, and really insightful. I, I think it was, I loved, again, back to the structure piece a little bit. I loved the, the rhythm that you created around the reality of Jesus' death, right? You know, the, the people that were there, the people that touched him, um, uh, you know, the people that were threatened by him, the, the people who were angry at him, you know, they were all in agreement on one thing. That he he's not around anymore. He was dead, and and you know, and and, and even the the personal touches, uh, which which I, I believe you probably borrowed from some other great preacher who. Yeah, it's your fault. Yeah, I know it's my. I made, I made you listen to that sermon, but you know the the uh, the uh, the tools, the tool belt. I mean, you know, it, it, it puts you in that home right it puts you in that place and and i think i think that was i think that was one of the powerful parts of the sermon was was to 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 get us to the place where where resurrection has to begin with the reality of something is dead um you know to to not to, to again not to make my sermon your sermon but i mean that that was that was i mean i went to the same place that that you know Plastic lilies are not symbols of Easter because they don't bloom forever. They don't, they never bloom, right? Plastic lilies don't bloom because they can't die. And, and, I, and, I, and so I think, it was, I think it was important for you to get us to the place on Easter Sunday morning, past the bunnies and the chocolate and the, you know, the new dresses and the new ties, whatever, to the reality of where the disciples were, where Mary was. Uh, where the people threatened by him was, you know, this guy is dead. And and then you read the text. Why did you read the text in the middle? I mean, it was just part of the story. 
I mean, in some ways, it's it's a little bit of a, a narrative. It was not a narrative sermon, but the text being in the middle pulled along with the narrative thread. Is that a is that possible? Like, sure. you know, like the, he's dead. He's really dead. I mean, that's the story, right? I, so I begin with this abundant life, and then he's dead, but really, really, really dead. Like I got him really dead. But then, then they walk into the, um, they they walk into the tomb. I, so it just fit the the narrative part of the story. Yeah. So you've got. Is that possible to have two forms, a narrative and a? <laughs> well, sure it is. I mean, I, you could, yeah, of course. I mean, it, it was it was the turnaround. It was it was you know, he's dead. He's really dead. Oh my gosh, he's dead. The tomb is empty. Mm. Right? I mean, that, yeah. so, 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 so that that's that's when that's when you know, you, I get goosebumps saying that. I mean, that's when it's that's when it that's when you go back to see. And and I and I must tell you that the, the, the title of your sermon was brilliant because it really fit the it, that is not fair. You can't say that without telling everybody that you titled my sermon. Well, oh yeah, by the way. Well, yeah. <laughs> T- Tiffany does not like to title her sermons, but she had to have one because it was on TV. And and uh, we'd been working on it. And I said, you know, go and tell. I mean, that, that, that was that was the refrain, right? So that was go and tell, go and tell, go and tell. And then all of a sudden, the go and tell is not he's dead. Right, the go and tell is the tomb is empty. Yeah. Um, and and so that that was that was the big thing that changed their mind. And yet, and yet, you didn't. I mean, you 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 kept faith with the gospel of Mark. Right. I mean, did you? You you never. I mean, what what did they have to go and tell on the way out of the sermon? What did they go and tell? Do you remember? You know, that's really interesting because I think you made a connection, which is it's not surprising. You made a connection that I didn't. Gospel of Mark really did say go and tell, or go and there they went and they didn't go and tell anybody. Yeah, they right? didn't go and tell anybody. Yeah. Like, so me saying go and tell, but they didn't tell anybody is kind of. I don't know. I never made that connection, which clearly you did because you titled the sermon. <laughs> so I wasn't intentionally faithful to the gospel of Mark, but I didn't, I mean, neither Mark nor me end in a place where they went and told. And in fact, I ended back in the tomb. So in the narrative, and I knew I did this and I did it on purpose, is I had them standing in the tomb um, like is about where I read the text. And then I said, oh, he's not dead. Go and tell, go and tell, go and tell. And then I wrapped back up to the tomb, like brought them back standing in the tomb. So it, there's, it, unintentionally, there really is that, that paradox of go and tell, but I leave them standing there sort of like Mark does. Like, I guess Mark's, they do leave and tell nobody, but... But by the way, I, you know, I, I was in Wisconsin for all those years. I used to go to the, the text study every week with, with a bunch of Lutherans. And, and the, joke, the joke was that the theme 
passage for Lutheran evangelism was go and tell no one. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, but but you know, thinking back over the sermon, though, I mean, what, what struck me was I don't, I don't remember you using the word resurrection or even alive um, that, that, you know, go, go and tell that the tomb is empty, right? Which is, yeah. which, which is Mark's, Mark's way mm-hmm. of making you decide, right? Yeah. yeah I, I, thought, I mean, I thought that was how you were pretty faithful. It, it wasn't, oh my gosh, he's alive. Oh my gosh, we've seen him. Oh my gosh, you know, resurrection. It was the tomb is empty. Um, yeah. Oh my gosh. Go tell Herod that you can't, that death is not going to, you know, keep this God down. Go and tell, like, like, that's interesting. Um, I, um, go ahead. I'm sorry. I lost where I was going. Well, I, I, you know, so, so again, so, so the structure, the structure, what was, was what drew this, drew me into this thing. And, and, and you, you, I found myself, I found myself wanting to finish your sermon for you, you know. That's interesting. How would you have finished it for me? Well, I mean, I would have finished the same way you were doing, but I kept thinking about all the people that needed to be told because you, because you, on the first half of the sermon, you know, you, you went and, you know, go ask the disciples, go ask Mary, Pilate, Herod, Mm. shepherds. Wise men. I mean, you know, I mean, you went through the litany of people that you had to say, "Hey, sorry, it was a mistake," you know. And so then, as you started to come out of the sermon, I'm like, "Tell Pilate." <laughs> <laughs> well, and the interesting thing is, and you and I talked about it after I preached it the first time. So I preached it Tuesday night, and we we started. We were talking about the form, the chiastic form. Is that what it's called? Yes. Which was really, really funny because for the first, like, you know, three times, four times you said it, like my sermon ended the first time near Caiaphas. Oh. So like, I kept like, what are you talking about? Like, why is this form named after Caiaphas? Like, I didn't understand, but um, we kept talking about it. And, and the first time I went in, I went A, B, C, D, A, B, C, D. Yeah. And then the second time I preached it, so we talked about it after the first time. The second time I preached it, it was A, B, C, D, C, B, A. So I came back yeah. out. Yeah. You know, so it, it was interesting. Like you, you knew where I was going next, but, but I was going backwards. Yeah. Yeah. But, but again, the, the, you know, there, was, there was this momentum, you know, that you, that you built. I mean, so you went down. And of course, going down, I didn't know who was next, right? I, I didn't know. I mean, it was interesting to hear who, who who needed to be told that he was dead. Yeah. So so I so I I was always curious. Okay, who who's going to hear next? Because it became apparent, you know, that, that was that's what your that's what your message was. Go and tell. Go and tell. But on the way out, I knew I knew all the people that you know that had been had been told he was dead. <laughs> No, no. So anyway, it just it just it, it brought me into this sermon. I mean, I wanted I wanted to I wanted to shout out the names. Go tell Caiaphas. Go tell Pilate. <laughs> tell Herod. Yeah. Yeah, they need to hear this. So I, I think I think it's interesting that intuitively, you you I don't know, stumbled upon this form 
that I think was an effective form. I think it, I think it brought us in and, and brought us out. So it was, that was kind of fun. Now, backing up from structure a little bit, um, I'm curious, what did it feel like to preach on Easter? I, when I was writing the sermon, um, there was, a, and I think I was, I had just gotten it written um, and I was checking in with you and I read part of it and, um, and in the reading started crying, mm. like tears crying. And I, in, on reflecting on that moment later, I think what I realized really is that it was my first Easter sermon, mm. you know, that, you know, we talk about how, um, I don't know the right word, it, not old, but when Easter sermons, Christmas sermons, Pentecost sermons, you only have like two or three things you can say, which makes on one hand really hard, right? Because you're like, you know, I've already said this before, but I haven't said this before, you know? So it, it both made it really simple because we, you know where you're going on Easter, but it made it almost deeper. I don't know if deeper is the right word, but you know, I didn't have to be clever. I just had to tell a, tell our story. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, that, that's a really nice way to put it. I, I think, you know, you, it's you try to be clever on these big high holy days and, and I think you lose a lot of people. I mean, I think that, and, and, I mean, I know not, not to take anything away from the sermon, but, but on these days, Christmas, Easter, especially, um, the sermon is, it can be a smaller part of the whole, um, because the music carries a lot, the visuals, the space carries a lot, um, and so, and so in that way, the sermon, the sermon needs to not fight against, um, the reality of what people what people are there for. So say, say what people believe, but say it well. <laughs> Sometimes it works for those kind of things. Um, you know, last night, because it was Easter, um, you know, we talked a lot about me bowling and I don't bowl on Sunday nights because um, I, it, I just know that I'm too tired, so I don't bowl league, but I go often on Sunday nights because um, my son does and I'm the sub for their team. Um, and last night it was Easter, so there was no league, but you know, my son's like, Hey, let's go anyway. So we went and, and we got there and, and you know, got a lane and, and we're getting our shoes on and stuff. And another person from his team walked in and he's and, and my son's like, Oh, no league tonight. And the team member was like, Oh, like that was a bummer. Like he came to bowl. So, you know, we invited him to come sit with us and, and bowl with us last night. And, you know, he's, you know, 20 something. Um, and we were talking and, you know, it, and we ended up talking about the sermon and about um, this faith, you know, I, I was really clear, like at the beginning of the conversation that I'm not evangelical, you know, I'm not, not up for saving people. It's not my job. Um, and, and starting this sermon, we talked about this sermon, but starting the conversation with, 
I'm not here to save you. I don't think I need to save your soul. (laughs) Like, I think God already loves you. Um, And the disciples, here's where the disciples were, Mm -hmm. but something changed their mind. You could just see in his face, like, oh, like it's such a simple story and so deeply human, you know, we're, we're, cause we've all, I think had those moments in our lives where we were sure something was true. The disciples were sure something was true, you know, and all of the sudden their entire world was shaken up. Like we get that, right? We get what it is to for for what we knew to be true to come fully into doubt. Um, so last night in that conversation, what what you know, had I gotten like really complicated and trying to explain the resurrection and whether it was true or not, or you know what 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 happened in the atoms and in in the breath and in Jesus' body, like. I, I would have lost them, yeah. but just an Easter story that was like an invitation into the mystery, mm-hmm. something changed their mind. You know, it, it was, um, it was, it was really cool because it started this whole conversation about, you know, about, about a bigger vision from the, for the church. You know, if we're not about, you know, eternal life and saving people's souls, like then, then what is my focus? What is it that brings me and my, my faith and my job and my career and my calling? What, if it's not the really big work of saving people's souls, what, why does what we do even matter? Um, And so we ended up talking like this mystery of you know inviting people into this mystery but and the story and connection right i mean there's a connection to not having to have the right answers but instead instead connecting into this mystery you know yeah yeah that's interesting a little bowling alley evangelism on easter oh i mean that's like my job right is i'm not evangelical but i evangelize it just looks different than 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 engaging for the purpose of saving somebody's soul. I mean, you know, I engage because, because we all care, you know, we all care about the big things, the mysteries, the sacred, and just being able to talk about it is cool. Yeah. You know, and, and I, I apologize. I keep coming back to my sermon, but we preached, yeah, you know, we preached on Easter. So there were a lot of similarities, but I mean, that was the point I made too, that you can't, you can't explain Easter. Uh, that that mm-hmm. Easter happens with an encounter. That 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 that's that's the place where Easter happens. And and you know some of the other power. It, it probably wasn't quite the same for you, but you know for me, I've been here 15 years. I know a lot of people. I mean, you've been here a long time too. But but um, I, I, I looked out over the congregation while I was preaching about people from our church who have died in the past year um, and, and their absence being felt. And I looked at it and I saw, well, these were widows, you know, several people whose, um, this was their first Easter without someone they loved. And, and, and there, there's, some, there's some sacred 
trust on Easter um, to, to offer those folks a word of hope. I mean, I've often said, I, I, you know, I, I know people, I mean, yeah, you hear my Easter sermon, you hear my Easter sermon, I, mean, the, the, I often say that I hope you don't need, don't need Easter this year. I mean, I, I hope that Easter can be about family and brunch and chocolate and, you know, whatever it is that you want Easter to be about. But, but when you need Easter, <laughs> you need Easter, right? Yeah. You know, when, when that Easter comes and, and, and you are like Mary weeping, um, and that's a sacred trust. I mean, that really is, that, that's a gift that preachers have been given um, to stand in the face of those who need Easter and offer a word of hope. It's very powerful. It's, it's, not, a, it's not something I take lightly um, uh, or, or try to take lightly. So, so next year you'll have two Easters. <laughs> and two, why two? Yeah, you're gonna write a different sermon. You got you got to. Why two? Wait, wait, pause. Well, Why? I mean, I don't, I mean, no, it'll, be, it'll be your second Easter. I'm sorry. Oh, gotcha. And I have no idea. We'll see what happens. Maybe I'll uh, just perfect this one and preach it again. <laughs> I'm not sure they remember from year to year. <laughs> well, or or I'm not sure that the story needs to be different year from year. No. no. Maybe maybe Easter and Christmas Eve are not about about new things but just about remembering old things yeah and and um and inviting them back to that yeah for, for both of them there it does require cutting through some layers of cultural um sort of accumulations right i mean obviously for christmas you know you, you've got to cut through lots of layers of, of sort of cultural appropriation of, of christmas and Easter too, you know, bunnies and eggs and, you know, butterflies and crocuses, whatever it might be. So, so anyway, I mean, so, so there, there is, there is this, this need at these, these big events to cut through that stuff. But once you get through it, the message is pretty, pretty simple. Yeah, that's true. Among us, death does not win, you know, so. So what's the, What's your response to this sermon? Your, yeah, what's your response? Yeah, you know, it, it, this is a sermon where, where the response is, is not really go and do something. Uh, the response is, um, uh, believe isn't the right word, but, but be assured that, that, that God's love holds us through all eternity that, 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 you know, I mean, you know, we, we say it every year, death does not have the last word. Death does not have the last word. Um, and, and it's a cliche that, that we say over and over again, but it's true that, that in, in, a, in a death pervading culture, um, death does not have the last word that God is, God is bigger than that. And, um, you know that's that's the hope in which we live. So so that's yeah, that that that's what I get from Easter. Yeah. What about you? What do you hope happens? I think I I think my hope is that they see that that I I invited people into a deeper way of seeing the story. It, it's so hard to look back and see the story 
in from Friday to Sunday morning, right? Like it, it, we we look back and we see the story from the disciples' life and and Jesus' life and and healing and teaching and eating, and we see it from this side, from resurrection and death didn't win. But I hope I hope I I. I hope people see the story in, you know, in Friday and Silent Saturday that the, the, the very real loss of hope, that he is yeah. dead. Yeah. yeah. The, the shepherds were wrong. Like all those kids that, that, you know, Harold, Herod, Harold, Herod had a stupid autocorrect all week on my computer had it from <laughs> Harold to Harold. Um, Herod, you know, that all of those kids Herod had killed, he wasn't the Messiah anyway. Like the depth of despair when you give your life so fully to something. They, I mean, these disciples left their families, right? They left their, where they were, they counted on, you know, a, a military battle overthrowing Rome and they were wrong. Yeah. I, I just, the, in part because, oh, you know, John Wesley preached the sermon, Original Sin. And I think a lot of people don't like it because, he talks for the first like three quarters of it about how bad people are. They're horrible. They have absolutely no goodness in them. And he like repeats that until you are like, like, like really just like the world is ending. It's so horrible because human beings have no ounce of good in them. Um, but then he, uh, what, what I like about that sermon is that, you know, the, the, depth of despair and then he pulls the the heights of hope in Hmm. of god's grace yeah i so i think this was that kind of form of let's actually go down to the depths and that way we can compare it to life yeah yeah and and i think i think it's i think it's also important to realize that when when we face death, when a, when a loved one of ours is dead, they're dead. I mean, we, we know the reality of death. We've stood in the, in the uh, funeral home in front of the open casket or, or wherever. I mean, there's just, there's no doubt of the reality of death in our existence. And yet somehow, since we, we, since almost all of us, I mean, we all start the Christian story knowing of the resurrection. Um, it's hard to put ourselves in that place where we believe Jesus was really dead. Yeah. And I think that's what you did well, right? I mean, you, 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 I mean that, that was the point of, of the, the, you know, what do we do with the uh, hammer and the, and the tool belt or whatever? I mean, it puts you in that place where you, you are remembering those moments of, of death in your own life, um, which, which then makes the, res- the resurrection, the Easter story, different than plastic Easter lilies, you know, mm-hmm. some charade that Jesus went through, uh, some metaphor for spring, you know, I mean, it really, it really grounded in, in, in a reality that we know if we have 
face death in our lives. So, yeah. Um, so I think that's a beautiful word to end on. Do you want to introduce yourself? I am the Reverend Kent Ingram, pastor at First United Methodist Church in Colorado Springs and colleague of Tiffany Keith. And I'm Tiffany. So do you think we should send it back to the band? I always love it when we send it back to the band. <laughs> All right. Thank you.